Welcome to the I Podcast. I'm Molly Blackall, and we have something a little bit different for you this week. I's chief reporter is headed down to England's oldest angling club to meet an unlikely hero of the battle to save Britain's rivers. I'm Carl Milmo, and I'm at the Amwell Magna fishery. It's a crisp, slightly dull morning. We've got the fishery lake, and behind it, the River Lynch, which flows into the River Lee. It's probably one of Britain's better-known rivers. It's also one of Britain's many rivers that face problems with pollution. I'm here to meet a man who has taken a lead role in the campaign to clean up our rivers... He's a man who actually is probably better associated for many with a different walk of life. He was, in the 70s, one of Britain's lead punk rockers. Later, very well-loved 80s pop star. Now, he's someone who's campaigned ferociously to turn the tide in Britain's rivers to tackle the pollution. And that man is Fergal Sharkey. Fergal, here we are. Can we explain what this place is? Well, this is the uh, River Lee, Chalk Stream in Hertfordshire. It's uh, the Amwell Magna Fishery, which is the oldest fly fishing club in the country, still fishing the same stretch of river. And the minute I walked through that gate, I mentally went, I'm going to become a member of this club. Little did I know that 20 years later, I would be appointed chairman. And for the last 182 years, Members of the Amal Magna Fishery have been standing at this very spot trying to catch some of what is now the last remaining breeding population of wild brown trout in the River Lee between here and London. Uh, It is also, as it transpires, the same bit of the River Lee walked and fished by a little man called Isaac Walton almost 500 years ago when he wrote and published The Complete Angler. So it's a very historic spot for all kinds of reasons and we're incredibly privileged, as the members of the fishery, we're incredibly privileged to be here. And we're here, of course, to discuss the plight of yep. Britain's rivers. You, as probably now one of the lead campaigners on this issue, people might not automatically recognise or expect <laughs> you to be carrying that badge. They might know you for, shall we say, different reasons. Listen, that makes two of us. I didn't want to pick this fight, and I had no intention of picking this fight. I kind of feel it was thrust upon me. You had a moment this week where you were in a shop. Something happened which might have brought home your new status to you. What happened? Uh, There was a very wonderful, lovely lady behind the counter um, with a look of puzzlement and questioning in her eyes and a look I've seen an awful lot over the last 40 years of my life. And she uttered those immortal words, Are you that environmentalist bloke? And at which point my brain just went, Oh my God, that's a new one. That's the first time that's ever happened. Sharky, that's it. Your music career's over. You're done. You're dusted. It's time to retire. Walk away. That I've now become this environmentalist. Little did I know. Explain to us just a little bit about your connection with, um, with rivers. I'm afraid it get all invariably, like a lot of things, gets very Freudian. For me, there was two parallel rail tracks running in my life that I didn't really understand as a child. One... I found myself in the clutches of the Christian brothers where they had a very simple idea that you were going to have an education whether you liked the idea or not and if you choose not to cooperate they had a number of ways and means to offer you some enthusiasm to cooperate with the system one of which was that you had to pick and indulge in 
get traction with and get involved in a long, long list of after-school clubs, activities. I think if I remember correctly, there had to be a minimum of six. Now, bear in mind, this is me in the full spread of middle age. I can now shop in the men's sections of Marks and Spencers instead of the boys for the first time in my life. So when I was 10, 11, I was built like a pencil. And obviously when it came to after school sports and things, I then been built like a pencil, weighing slightly more than a feather. I ticked the box marked Gaelic football. I ticked the box marked hurling. And for some unknown reason, I also ticked two boxes, one marked fly fishing and the other marked fly tying. And it was there, and I can still remember Classroom D on the third floor of the Christian Brothers, Brow of the Hill, beginning my first failed attempts to tie a pair of mallard feathers on top of a size 8 hook when I was about 11 years old, and here I am sitting on the banks of the Elmon Magna. And here we are indeed, at first blush, beautiful place, a yeah. tranquil spot. Yeah. But if not here, not very far away, there's big trouble, isn't there? What, what, what is in a nutshell, the issue with our rivers. Um, what sort of state are they in? Well, the simple trip, well, the easy answer to that one. As we speak, just 14% of England's rivers are in good ecological condition. And government's latest projections issued just before last Christmas is that unless there is a serious intervention by 2027, that number will have dropped to 6%. Now, here's the thing. 20 years ago this year, we passed a law saying that by 2027, 100% of rivers, ponds and lakes in England in the UK would be in good ecological status. Healthy bird populations, insect populations, wide diverse populations of fish. And yet here we are, the latest projection is that will be 6% by 2027 on a massive downward trajectory we have basically been destroying every single river in the country. Now, there's a lot of debate, and we'll go into this, about who is to blame. Water companies, regulators. Yep. Actually, I mean, it's probably a little known fact that well, you've been a regulator. You know this, 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 this uh, <laughs> world inside out. And there are a lot of questions. You yourself have been one of those raising these very strongly about the effectiveness, dare I say it, the competence yep. of organisations. Yeah like the Environment Agency, and off what there are two waterway regulators. There is. Is it time to cut our losses, merge this lot, disband them, and, and create some sort of new watchdog, this time one with teeth? Uh, well, it, both these watchdogs have got lots of teeth. The law's there. Whoever put all this legislation together in the late 1980s, early 90s, actually knew that there may be problems. So all of the legislation is there. All of the teeth are there. It is quite simply the regulars have never been willing, able or desired or had the ambition to bite and bite hard. And systematically there has been a colossal failure of regulation throughout the whole industry, throughout both sectors. It's quite clear that Offwatch saw their obligation is simply driving down the price of water to the consumer, regardless of the environmental impact. The environment agencies whose job was to ensure that that wouldn't happen, that the environment would not pay the cost of cheap water. But of course, the environment agency has colossally failed in its job and its obligations as well. So for me, it's a classic case of uh, mutually assured destruction. Why do we want to keep repeating the same failed system that we've been doing for 30 years? 
it's over, it's finished. We do need to examine every nut and bolt of the regulatory system, and if that means restructuring the whole system, restructuring the whole industry, then that's what's going to have to happen. What about the water companies? I think a lot of people will see them as the villains, with probably a good degree of justification. You've certainly got them worried. <laughs> Every time you pop up, there's a response on their, on their behalf from one or the other, and they, they're trying to tell their story as they see it. They say they're putting in the investment, £56 billion on England's <laughs> rivers. Where, for you, are they failing? We well, see, there's where, the, strategically, the industry fail right there. And let me just clarify a couple of points. One, water companies invest little of anything. Any money they spend is funded directly out of bill payers' pockets. And secondly, let's talk about that 56 billion. Turns out that that's actually spread over the next 28 years. So when you break that down, that's what, 2.2 billion a year, roughly, loosely. Turns out that's spread across nine sewage companies. So you're actually looking at about £230 million a year. Turns out, I'm told, that they've included everything in that number, including the tea bags for the crew that turn up and look after the uh, sewage station, the electricity bill for maintaining the pumps. And the truth is, if you actually get down to a figure looking more like 50, 60 million, you're probably closer to the truth. The truth is, because of the failure of political oversight, because of the completely incompetence of the regulators. That created a massive vacuum and an opportunity, and the water companies have exploited that opportunity, and their shareholders have benefited to the tune of about £72 billion, while leaving those companies now saddled with just over £60 billion worth of debt. Bearing in mind, we privatised those companies completely debt-free. We've been had. Or as another national newspaper referred to it, it has just been a complete confidence trick, a complete con. If you want to read the responses from the water companies and regulators, do head over to inews.co.uk to read Cahal's article. Our campaign to save Britain's rivers is just one of the many ways we hold the powerful to account for their actions. To support this important work, and keep yourself informed with daily news and in-depth features, consider subscribing. We have an offer on with 50% off a digital subscription and our weekend newspaper. Enjoy 12 months for 59.99 or try three for 19.99. Head over to inews.co.uk forward slash podcast to get this offer now. As I understand it, in Britain, we actually pay pretty low water bills. Mm -hmm. I suppose some might say that's the benefit of privatisation. But isn't there a truth here if we are to deal with this issue properly and permanently that actually we as bill payers are going to need to pay a bit more? Well, there's two sides to this that you need to look at. Off what the economic regulator a year ago did now write to the water companies, telling them, people can go and look this up for themselves, telling them that in the regulator's opinion, water companies have been paid and provided with all of the funding they ever needed for 30 years to fix and maintain the sewage system. Clearly they haven't spent it on the sewage system, which begs a question, well, whatever happened to money? 
Well, I think we can all guess what happened that. One chief executive last year pulled down £5.9 million salary and bonus. Maybe that's where the money went that should be spent in the sewage system. It also raises the question, why are we being asked to pay for the second time? We've already given the water companies the money. Maybe they should pay for it this time round. And as we speak, London is now number nine on a list of ten cities in the world most likely to run out of drinking water. London is now right up there with Cape Town, Jakarta, Sao Paulo and Mexico City. So the truth is, if we now want to secure London's water supply and prevent you having to cure the standpipe with a plastic bucket, somebody's now going to have to start spending huge amounts of money that the water industry has not been spending over the last 30 years. Otherwise, 25 million people are going to run out of water. Which is an extraordinary thing to think that soggy England, (laughs) you know, never too far from the next rain shower, although, of course, February has been incredibly dry. And, I mean, as we sit here today, we can hear the aircraft going overhead. You, You know, we're never that far from... How can we put this? You know, humanity's fairly heavy footprint. Oh, not listen, not in the least. And uh, yes, on one level, the earliest reference I can find was a hydrologist by the name of Walters back in 1963, warning the government, and I'm quoting, that the chalk aquifer around London had been pumped almost to extinction. So people knew in the early 1960s what the trajectory was, what was going on. Do we in uh, England in general have to have a think about our relationship with water. Turns out where you're sitting in Hertfordshire, the good people in Hertfordshire are amongst the highest consumers of water on a daily basis than the whole of Western Europe. Now, I think from recollection in Hertfordshire, it's about 143 litres per person per day. When you get over to the Baltic states, Estonia, for example, think in the mid-high 80s. When you go to the Germany and the Scandinavian states, think kind of the 90s, possibly maybe touching on 100. We use, in general terms, pretty much 40% more water per day than most people throughout the rest of Europe. And we're going to have to change that idea because that is utterly unsustainable. Because from memory, the National Audit Office looked at this about two years ago and their current projection is we're going to need another 1.4 trillion litres of water by 2050 which we haven't got. It doesn't exist in the environment. So I'm afraid that, uh, again, it's one of those things where you become to the lack of political leadership. Could government help fix this by simply changing the building regulations and making it mandatory that every new house built would have to use no more than 100 litres of water per day? Yes, they could. They've chosen that to. Could every local authority do the same thing through the planning system? Yes, they could. But they've chosen that to. Should we, as consumers, be provided with free water butts to go and collect and harvest all of that rain? Yes, we should. So the simple truth is, we just need somebody in charge. There's one word lacking from this whole conversation. Leadership. There isn't any. The Environment Agency has a testing budget. What's happened to that? Where is their testing regime? (laughs) Forgive me. (laughs) On one level, was the, uh, as a matter of dogma, was the Environment Agency's budget cold over the last 12 years, uh, particularly in 2015. Uh, as you know, government's funding cycle works in five-yearly cycle. So 2010, it got a budget cut, but that was the age of austerity. Everybody got their budget cut. That's OK. We'll go along with that one. In 2015, the bit of the budget that looks at 
monitoring water quality, testing, enforcement, taking people to court, prosecuting them, that part of that budget alone got cut by 57%. Now, you simply cannot cut any organisation's budget by 57% and not willfully and blatantly set out to cripple it, if not decapitate it. In fact, the then Secretary of State bragged to Parliament, the footage is out there, that she had cut farm inspections that year by 34,000 and cut farming red tape by 80%. It was a classic free market dogma. We need to get rid of regulations completely, even if that means burning it all to the ground. Step forward, the then Secretary of State for the Environment, Liz Truss. Turns out she had a dry run in 2015 while we're running the, uh, overseeing the operation of the Environment Agency. Little did we know what would happen a mere seven years later. In a slightly related matter, how is it we don't know how much sewage is going into <laughs> our rivers? How is this possible? Surely it must be that the water companies should be forced to gather and publish this. There this is, um, this government will tell you right now, look at a fantastic job we're doing. We're putting all these monitors in. What they forget to mention is they're putting all those monitors in directly as a result of the European Commission taking the UK government to the European Court of Justice in 2012, where the Court of Justice found the UK guilty of breaching the Urban Wastewater Treatment Directive by allowing water companies to dump sewage into our rivers. So those monitors only exist because of a court case. And cleverly enough, I suspect there was any amount of lobbying on behalf of the water industry, because they loathe the idea of volmic metering. All we can tell right now is we were dumping sewage, it went on for an hour, but you're right. Was that a bath full or was that 69 swimming pools full? So the only one that I'm aware of that has Volmic meter on it is actually the Mugden Sewage Treatment Works. And I suspect Thames Water regret it because that's the one that flagged up a year ago over two days. They dumped over two billion litres of sewage into the River Thames over the course of 48 hours. Maybe that's why they don't like the idea of volumic metering. You've been very forthright, characteristically so, in highlighting this issue of, of accountability yeah. and, as you see it, lack of leadership. Do you feel you now have to carry this burden until the job is done of knocking heads together, until you know, maybe you can finally come back to just get on with a bit of fishing? There's, well, there's two elements to this. Um, I like to think that I've approached most of my life where, as an initial point of view, which I did, by the way, four or five years ago now, very quietly and gently in a grown-up adult fashion, go and explain to some people there clearly was an issue, here's what I'd discovered so far, and maybe we should all try and find an amicable outcome and a reasonable solution that we could all live with. And I made it very clear to people, all I actually want back from my initial conversations is an equally honest, upright and joined-up response to my queries. That didn't happen, so here's where we are. Now, from my perspective, people, including government and water companies, were given a choice. They chose another path, and I really don't mind, because we're going to end up where I want to be by the end of all of this. They chose one way. We could have gone the other. Now, am I going to stop before this is over? Absolutely not. I don't stop. Both my parents were heavily involved in politics at a local level. My father was chairman of the Labour Party in Derry when there was such a thing. He was branch secretary of his local union. I'm still slightly scarred 
from being taken to a union meeting at eight, nine years old and being in a room full of men, all referring to my dad as Brother Sharky. Who the hell were these people? I'd never met them before. They weren't any relatives of mine. Like all good matriarchal families, uh, Bruce and my dad was the one that got things done. It was my mother, who on the morning of the 9th of April, 1969, bundled everybody into the car, demanded Dad drove us all to the other side of Ireland, where as a family... We took part in the People's Democracy Civil Rights Demonstration, marching from Belfast to Dublin, highlighting injustices in Northern Ireland. I grew up in a house where people, plumbers, electricians, housewives, the unemployed, sat around my kitchen table with my parents plotting to bring down the government to Northern Ireland. And as a 10-year-old boy, I watched the housewife, the plumber, the electrician, the unemployed, bring down the bloody government to Northern Ireland. That taught me one lesson. Don't give up, don't ever be afraid. Keep going until you get the job done. So that's what's going to happen. Is there a part of you which nonetheless slightly longs for the time when you'll go into a shop and someone will once more say, you're Fergal Shockey, that uh, pop star? Listen, without question, it's uh, one of the, the incredibly joyous parts of my life. I've spent all of my adult life, 40 years of my adult life, with random people walking up to me in the street and wanting to talk about music and gigs they'd been to and records they'd heard and John Peel and all kinds of stuff. Now, as a human being, what an extraordinary, remarkable gift to be bestowed upon you. Yeah, you're right. The last couple of years, people want to talk to me about shite and rivers, and guess what? I'm really looking forward to the day that I can go back to talking about music. Virgo Sharkey, thank you very much. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you for the time. Once again, if you'd like to find out what the companies, government departments and regulators have to say, head over to inews.co.uk to read the full article. Does your river need help? If you have a story or would like iReporters to investigate sewage pumping near you, please email us at i at inews.co.uk. Or if you'd like to read more of our coverage on this crucial topic, you can at inews.co.uk forward slash save dash Britons dash rivers. We'd love to hear any comments or suggestions. So drop us a line at podcasts at inews.co.uk and don't forget to write us a review on your favourite podcast apps. I'm Molly Blackall. You can follow me on Twitter at Molly Blackall on Instagram and TikTok at molly.blackall. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.